I have a friend hunting there right now. He sent an update uh, when he had a chance and said that he had seen only 10 goats in five days and about 14 rattlesnakes. So more rattlesnakes than goats at this point in time, which is a big concern to me because that is such an amazing place to go and hunt one of the neatest species of animals on the planet. He's such an amazing creature. I went ahead and full body mounted him, and uh, it's, it's, he's he's gorgeous. I mean, it, he's got leather on his on his knees, you know, and just the way that they crawl using their feet and like their elbows, and knees, just and they just right scoot along is is unbelievable. And that's why I think the Spider Man reference is perfect for them because they don't hesitate on yeah. those rocks and it's so sure-footed they run 700 yards in six seconds and it takes me six hours to get around them the billy wasn't disturbed he just sat there so i leveled on him and i mean i was as solid as i've ever been on a shot and i pulled back and let her rip and that arrow floated because i was shooting across a canyon mm. and the same thing you were talking about with the wind the wind was pushing up coming down from the bottom and pushing up and it just my arrow just floated and it looked like it was diving right into him and it just goes Boop, and hits right behind him at such a steep angle that it went over his back and hit three feet from where his footprints were out of all this madness that was happening i mean the whole canyon was alive with all the the clicking and clacks and rocks stumbling and all the nannies and the smaller billies running in other directions it was madness and out of the middle of all of this on my camera Unbeknownst to me, a big tom is running up the mountain and runs directly to the injured ibex in seconds from the shot. There seemed to be more forgiveness from being caught from below than from above or even even with them, uh, no question about it. And, and, and it's because of the train. They, they, they own the high ground, so they got higher. Right. And they would they'd pause and look and... You know, I think uh, at that point, they have the confidence, you know, that they, they have the high ground because that's their protection. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Just before we roll into this episode, I want to talk to you about a couple things. As always, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags, main sponsor of the show. Use promo code John Stallone. Save 20% on your whole order. They got some awesome stuff. So get yourself some shooting bags, a glassing pad. Check out some of the stuff that they're working on. Also... I want you to check out Lacusa. Lacusa makes wild hunted American whitetail leather goods like wallets, card holders, stuff like that. It's a really neat deal. I got mine about a month ago and I really love it. It's nice to know that your whitetail hide's not just going in the garbage or being left out in the field and uh, it's being turned into something useful and it will last you a very, very long time. If you use promo code John Stallone on your purchase, you will receive a discount and uh, a couple other things one you know I know you guys heard me say a million times please go on iTunes give us a review helps me keep this free and uh, lastly I just want to touch on all the craziness that's going on in the world it's really important for us hunters to stick together they are really heavily coming for hunting we're seeing it all over the place it's popping up in every state where they're trying to chip away at hunting rights and change things up. So if you want to keep hunting as special as it is to us now and have it be in our heritage and for the generations to come, then learn to be better with your fellow hunter and learn to stick up and fight for what's right. Thank you. Let's jump into this next episode. It's like... 
I think it was literally the exotic species hmm. hunting axe. I know why it was introduced, but I was thinking, huh, maybe if I could have the actual name, that'd be great, but I can't seem to find it for some reason. But Why was it introduced? It was to, because uh, we had areas that were inhospitable to our big game. So okay. they were expanding hunting opportunities and, uh, Got it. you know, to non-native exotic species. They even tried with the kudu. And they tried ibex even up in the Canadian River Valley, which I heard. I went to Roy, New Mexico one year to hunt antelope, and they were telling me about these ibex that were in the Canadian River Valley. And I, I said, I told them, no, those are probably barberry sheep. I actually told them they were wrong, and they believed me. Uh-huh. And now I've discovered this morning that I was not wrong. That we actually did try it. They didn't. Well, the locals told me that the game of fish came in and, and wiped them off basically because it wasn't working. So they came in and killed them all. That's just word on the street. The, the, any kind of documentation I can find says that they were, it just didn't take. Yeah. You know, they're not going to put that. <laughs> right. Yeah, so we came out in helicopters and killed a whole bunch of yeah, them. Yeah. We just free when they slaughtered them. Yeah. But it's interesting. He said there's an Ibex, a large Ibex in the store. And I was like, wow, you know, where, where did that thing come from? I mean, we're talking like a 45 incher. Oh, wow. And people in the store are like, it's been here the whole time. Like it was killed over there in the Canadian River Gorge. And so it's amazing because it looks like rolling hills and plains just outside the national grasslands. And then all of a sudden you dive down into this canyon, driving through it. You're like, where did this canyon even come from? Yeah. And we've had barbary sheep all the way to northern New Mexico. So a friend of mine when he was 15 killed a 28 or 29 inch barbary sheep in Unit 2 in Largo Canyon. Right. Really, ten miles, fifteen miles from town. Um, so there's been reports of some Barbary sheep in eastern Arizona now too. Oh, really? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, man. They are hardy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they are. They are so hardy and so fun to hunt. I mean, I'm glad that we have them, but they will run out bighorn. Yeah, that's um, the that was the main concern that they were going to displace some bighorn sheep that were occupying that area. Right. I know one of my guides that works for me actually glassed some up. And, and this is not even Eastern. This is central, if not a little bit West in a unit down here. And there was, and, you know, at first he thought it would, there were just bighorn sheep. And then it's like, wait a second, not a bighorn sheep. That's, that's a barber sheep. Right. Trying to figure out where the hell that guy came from. Those guys came from. There's two of them, two males. Well, I was antelope hunting again near Morarity, which is just an hour outside Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And the guys I was with said that uh, this is all by the Epstein Ranch, by the way. Because <laughs> yes. there was two things they talked about. They talked about all the pretty girls that would party at the Epstein Ranch. <laughs> they didn't know any. This is before it all, all that story broke. Right, the, right. The sex parties and whatever they were doing over there. They're like, yeah, they just, every once in a while we see a carload of strippers lost out here on the ranches <laughs> oh jesus i'm like holy smoke so we have no <laughs> idea the extent of it but oh man. Uh, but then they said then the second thing they're talking about was how barbary sheep had moved back into that area mm. and um i had some doe federal agent friends of mine say that yeah they spotted uh um an oryx up there as well and barbary sheep right there outside albuquerque and wow um, Barbecue doesn't surprise me much, but the orange does. 
Yeah. And then I saw one running with a bull elk. Really? Uh, yeah. Two bull elk and a, an oryx right there in Corona, New Mexico. It's a little bit further south than, than what the DOE guys said they saw. But uh, hmm. the funny thing is the DOE guys, they didn't know. They just said it, they described it to me. And I said, it sounds like an oryx. Oh, yeah, yeah. They didn't really know what it was. But it's odd. Well, not, not odd. They're both are, they're all robust. Yeah. Um, I mean. They tried kudu. Kudu couldn't handle it. But what's interesting, too, is that like now you go back and you think, you know, the, the, the Mexican Game and Fish Department thought that these areas were uninhabitable, um, <laughs> uninhabitable, but yeah. really they weren't. There was, pl- I mean, the, I, maybe the native species populations were, were low, but, you know, there's all sorts of wildlife out there. I mean, I mean, I mean if you think about the rock, okay, where all mm-hmm. the ibex are at, I mean, where the majority of them are at anyway, I don't know. I've seen quite a few mule deer over there. Oh yeah, uh, and Avelina, a couple of Avelina, not a whole lot, but it's just we ran into a little. Uh, what do they call a pack of Havelina? Herd, um, a herd. It's a herd. Yeah, we had a herd herd of Havelina up on top of the mountain in the southern area. We went in south of Mahoney Park and went up to that old cabin. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. And we stayed in that cabin. We couldn't get our truck up there. We didn't have an ATV at the time, and so we hiked up to the cabin set up camp for two or three days and then went into the south of from there and they were up up top we were seeing all this this ground turned up and all these rocks turned over and uh sure enough right when evening started to go they were they were there just milling about avelina are crazy because they i mean they're supposed to be a tropical you know tropical animal and i bet in the next 30 years they'll be up in utah like they're really north in arizona now like i never ever ever saw them like north of flagstaff and now actually i never even to be honest with you i never really even saw them so just before you get the flagstaff there's uh, it's unit 6a south or 6a bottom of 6a stoneland lake area that was like the furthest north I had ever seen them. And, you know, Flagstaff's like an additional, what is that, uh, 36 or some 36 to 40 miles north of that. Mm-hmm. And now I've seen them actually north of Flagstaff, like up in the Bon the Roses and on the north side of the San Francisco Peaks, which is probably almost 60 miles north of where I had originally, you know, where I would see them when I was first moved out here in the early 90s. Right. So, yeah, they're no, they're moving. I mean, it's just they're a hardy. I mean, if you think about look, look at all the wild pigs, and I, I know sure. they're not pigs, but right, technically, but they're very pig-like, and they they do reproduce like pigs in in, in right. a lot of ways. They have large whatever <laughs> litters, I guess you want to call them. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't right. know, man. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna take over. I, well, I, that's I think that's why Game and Fish kind of recognized that here several years ago, and now you, you know in the last I don't I don't know how many years ago it was now, but now you could take two a year. It used to be only take one a year. Um, I know New Mexico basically opened it up where just about anybody who wants to hunt them can get them. Well, you you, you say that, but it's not true because they put a cap so that OTC tag is that you guys have. Mm-hmm. is 
until they sell out of whatever the quota is. And it's not a lot. I think it's only like a thousand tags statewide. Might even be less than that. So, because last year in New Mexico, yeah, New Mexico, I went there and my buddy who's an outfitter there, he's like, Yeah, don't worry about buying it until you get here. And then we got there and they were sold out. And I was like, Well, that sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I can't, now I can't go Ravelina hunting. I mean, I had a barber sheep tag in my pocket. Yeah. Only saw used, didn't see any Rams, so didn't shoot anything. But uh, did a lot of predator hunting. Called in a shit ton of dogs. I bet you did. And of course, the day it was the day we only had one day left of like I guess your fur bear season, which was like fox and bobcat, and then it closed, and we were calling in foxes like left and right. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, so there, yeah, they do have a liberal season there for you guys, but I, it's uh, it's capped, so it's still capped. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right answer or not, but. I know at one point we thought, well, shoot, they're going to wipe out all the javelina. And I'm not a javelina hunter, really. I think yeah. I, I'd probably, after this year, I want to stay more home, more local for my hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so maybe I need to just start exploring all the all the options I and trying know. to. I I, be, I became a javelina hunter. It used to just be a a uh, an animal of uh, opportunity, I guess. You know, I'd always just buy yeah. a, I'd buy a tag and go deer hunting because it's season coincides and i don't know i found like a kind of like a real love for haunting them just because I, I one i like eating them i didn't like you know because first few times i tried i was like this is the worst thing ever but and then i i learned how to cook them and things changed you know so uh good eating fun for the kids to hunt and I don't know. It's just well, a, I, I, it's a I good hunt where I go where I go to hunt them now. Like I hunt them in the mountains. Like you got to stalk them. You got to right. you got to put a lot of effort into it versus you know how I did it before. So oh, and maybe that's what I need to do is do something. Uh, hunt them with a freaking stick bow, man. Yeah, there you go. I get up there. I just need to need to get one. I did get charged by one in Arizona. Yeah, they could get ago. nasty. They could get my nasty. buddy. Yeah, my buddy was doing the little. Yeah, and then freaking four turn around and charge right at us. I went to full draw at ten feet, <laughs> and he stopped and looked at us and then ran back to his herd. And um, yeah, that was, it was it was pretty cool. That's when I first started liking him, but I just hadn't really gotten into it yet. So maybe 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 I'll have to get your recipes at some at some future date. And yeah, I got a few of them up it. on my blog. I'll send you a link. Yeah, okay. no, they they're really good, man. So, um. So all the L- cool stuff we just talked about. L- luckily, I hit record right when I when I got on with you, man. So <laughs> we're talking with uh, Brian Selzin of uh, Beyond Rubicon, and uh, I don't know. We're just going to talk a little mixed bag of everything. We're going to do like a lessons learned thing. Maybe we'll learn something. I don't know. We're going to shoot the shit here, and him and I both have had quite a bit of experience hunting ibex, and that's always a that's actually going on right now, right? Yeah. For another couple of days to yeah, the fifteenth, early archery, yeah, until the fifteenth month. That's that's been now. the tag that I had. Both times I had the tag, that's what the tag that I got. I've been on the January hunt several times, uh, helping out other guys, but I never had that tag myself. I love the tag. I can't seem to draw it anymore. But uh, my experience was all in January, so I never had to fight the rattlesnakes. Yeah, that was the. I, I was going to say, but the only thing that I liked better about going in January 
was the rattlesnake situation. And we did see one, but it was better than seeing. I and I honestly I didn't. I got lucky. I think we saw like one a day. Some guys I talked to were like, "Yeah, we've seen three, four a day." You know, like that's that's just crazy. Oh well, yeah, I have a friend hunting there right now, and I should be there with him to be honest with you. So Pat Wheeler, if you listen to this podcast, man, I should be there with you. I just couldn't pull it off, but he sent an update uh, when he had a had a chance and said that he had seen only ten goats mm. in five days and about fourteen rattlesnakes. Jesus. Um, so more rattlesnakes than goats at this point in time, which is a big concern to me because that is such an amazing place to go and hunt one of the neatest species of animals on the planet. They are, aren't they just like, they're like aliens, man. Like watching them work a mountain is it's mesmerizing. It really is. I'm actually uh, sitting we, here. I have my Ibex, my mount one is, is like in plain view of me right now. And I'm looking at this little guy and I'm like, man, like how does this thing do what it does? I don't know. They're like well, Spider-Man. <laughs> they, they really are. They're like Spider-Man mixed with Superman. I mean, I've never seen an animal run towards the edge of a cliff and you're like, oh, they're all dead. I yeah. just spooked them off a cliff and they're dead. And then you get to the edge of the cliff and you, you can't even see them. They're just, you can just hear them yeah. running, through the, running through the rocks. Nuts. But uh, I too am sitting here with my Ibex. I just moved into a new home that uh, I've been working on since uh, February and Finally moved in and vlogged 12 days in this house. And my Ibex is sitting right here next to the couch. Nice. And he's such an amazing creature. I went ahead and full body mounted him. Oh, nice. And uh, it's, it's, he's, he's gorgeous. I mean, it, he's got leather on his, on his knees. Mm. You know, and just the way that they crawl using their feet and like their elbows and knees just... And they just right. scoot along is, is unbelievable. And that's why I think the Spider-Man reference is perfect for them because they don't hesitate on yeah. those rocks and it's so sure-footed they run 700 yards in six seconds and it takes me six hours to get around them and that's not an yeah. exaggeration no it, it, you're it's right yeah it's like some i remember sometimes looking up there and i'm like how the freak am i going to get there and right. how the hell do i know they're still going to be there now luckily i every time i've gone i've had spotters i can't imagine doing that hunt by myself because of what you just said, it's like, dude, four hours to get to a spot. How do you know that they're even going to be there? Even if you got them bedded, like right. four hours is right. a long time to not, to completely lose sight. So, yeah. Well, well our first hunt, we decided that we were going to spend our effort that year, my brother and I hunting Ibex. And this was going back to, I think, 2011 timeframe. So we drew the January hunt. So it's January of 2012, I believe. I could have, a, I could be a year off, and we decided we were just going to spend every day up there. And we went in, and we were a little bit nervous because the first thing that we did is we pulled into, you know, an area underneath the needle, and a rock slide occurred right behind us and landed on the path behind the truck. Oh shit! And before we could get out of the truck and see what it was, we thought it was ibex running, and they kicked some rocks. No, another rock slide came down and just welcomed us to the to the rock. This is kind of like the devil's playground. You know, if you start to be fearful of that mountain, it's like your nightmare comes true. You know, that bush you're trying to squeeze through is going to push you off the edge 
or you're going to get vertigo while you're glassing on the edge and, and looking through your binoculars and then all of a sudden get a little dizzy because you're standing too close to a, a sheer cliff. And it took us a while to gain some confidence, but you know, the more we did it, uh, the more confidence we had, but we, we never got complacent because the very second we thought we had it whooped, the mountain would remind us that, no, no, you're not really welcome here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that place is, it's, it's crazy. I, I found myself doing things that were just absolutely insane. My buddy was filming me and this was my second hunt and I got out onto this like crazy jagged pinnacle and there was like a crack in the rock, like in the, it was like a flat rock face and there was like a crack in the rock so that the bottom half stuck out like three, four inches more than the top half. So there was like a ledge, like a three inch ledge. And I was literally shimmying across this ledge to get into position because there was a billy bedded below me. And I, I look back at my, and he's like, dude, I ain't going down on that. Like, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> he was, and, and I'm like, he's, you know, young kid, 20 something years old at the time, 23, I think, maybe. And, you know, no family, nothing. Me, I'm 40, freaking three kids, wife, you know, a lot of people dependent on me. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, and I started thinking about, like, man, I'm like, I'm pushing shit like that I shouldn't be pushing just so I can. Like I really wanted to get a second one, and um, I, I created so many opportunities on that second hunt for myself. And I actually shot and missed three times, which was brutal because it was I had busted my ass to get to. It was the craziest thing. I busted my ass to get up there in time because we were running out of light. And I get there, peek over the edge, look down, range up this this Billy standing on a rock, like perfect picture, perfect scenario. It has no clue I'm there, facing the other way, mm -hmm. draw back, shoot. And my arrow hits literally right at his front feet. And I'm like, what the So he jumps off the rock. I load another arrow. 30 seconds later, another Billy jumps on the same rock and is like looking around. No clue. They had None of them had a clue I was there. <laughs> Rearrange again. I'm like, oh, the same range. I don't know what the hell I did. I must have dropped my arm, right? <sighs> draw back. Right. Shoot same scenario i'm like what the freak is going on i'm like freaking out you know sparks go flying at this point and i'm like my i'm just like oh my god i don't know what's going on and i'm i'm like i'm just gonna aim a little bit higher i don't like i don't know like and sure as shit another freaking billy jumps up but this guy was small and uh, i drew back and i missed him too but like i like grazed him across his brisket and I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? And so I didn't even think about it. The whole time, the wind was in my face, like, I don't know, 25, 30 miles an hour, like bad, like blowing hard. Ooh, yeah. So it was such a steep angle that the arrow was being pushed down, you know, being pushed back towards the mountain the whole time. That so, makes total sense. Yeah. So it was like almost 10 yards off. Like that's how bad it was pushing it off. And I was like, man, like, cause I went a second time I shot, I shot five yards longer. I'm like, it's not that long a shot. I mean, there was probably, well, I don't remember now what the exact numbers were, but I'm just going to throw some arbitrary numbers out. It was like line of sight was like 75 yards, but the holdover was like 30, mm -hmm. you know? 
And then, actually, sorry, I missed four times. Then two days later, I, oh, this was the crack that I was talking about. So I got out, of, I got out on this ledge and I finally get this window of opportunity as Billy stands up and I got to shoot through this like cedar tree. And it's just like a big round circle, big round hole. And I'm like, I started getting the, the John Stallone is the best archer in the whole world in my head. I'm like, yeah, I could sneak it through there. Go through the, the eye I of the needle yeah. and sneak it right through there. I can get it through there. No, I hit a freaking, hit the branch that the arrow goes flipping through the air. And like, that was actually, that was on the littles. That wasn't on the main mountain on that one. And it went That's flipping it. down towards that like camp, campground area. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, I'm going to kill somebody. But uh, yeah, the, the little Floridas are not little. You think they are? No, they're, they're not little at all. But once you start climbing around, you're like, Oh, no. scary up there too it's just pretty bad as well yeah yeah that first one we killed on the dragon the year before and then i don't know man i had i had a lot of opportunities i've i, lo- I, love, I love that place i love that haunt it's a it's a great haunt like it really it, it truly is action packed on so. day 14 of our hunt uh, a lot thinner version of myself from when i started Jeff and I were going and we heard that little clack. Yep. And that's the that's that's the little nanny that you can't see because she's tiny compared to the billies and the billies aren't very big. And we froze, but he was in the open, I was not. And he just froze. And so I slipped down. I was gonna go shoot the nanny. I didn't care. Right. Like that. I have a bow in my hand. They're all trophies. Yep. And you know, Jeff, we're we're doing amateur film at the time and some people might argue I still am doing amateur film, but <laughs> just filming the best he can. And I, I take an hour and a half to try to get in position. She calmed down and just kind of fed off of the, the pinnacle there. And there was a dome that was using as my point of reference. Uh-huh. And so, I, I mean, I, I don't know how I picked the route, but it ended up being perfect. I get up over and I look down and there's a Billy there too. Nice. And he's out in the sun and there's no wind. I range him three, four times. I'm thinking they're going to run at any second because obviously, I mean, this is my first op, real good opportunity at one. Mm-hmm. Level the bow and I let her rip and the arrow just flies. I never even hear it hit it's right over his back. Oh. He doesn't know what happened. He's kind of looking around like, what, what was that? I don't even hear it hit the, the rocks below. That's how far it went. Oh, jeez. And so I, I rearrange and I'm like, okay, I must have done something as well. Instead of thinking angles, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I probably overgripped, I dropped my arm, I just settled down and same spot, except this time the arrow was a little lower and hit the rocks below him. Oh shit. Well, then the entire mountainside erupts. <laughs> and I realized there's like seven or eight billies right there. Oh, he jumps up and runs up the the dome, and thank goodness I had ranged it. So this this dome is sitting there. We 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 renamed it Brian's Dome, uh, just because I was the first one to ever draw blood, and I've never at this stage in my archery career never drawn blood with my bow. Oh wow! This Billy comes up sixty yards from me, and I smoke it, and uh, it was it was terrifying and, and exciting at the same time. I watched them all disappear over the dome, and Jeff happens to capture from up above the the hurt Billy. And the rest of them take off, and he stays there at the bottom of the dome. And I hear him take his last steps. He stomps around and then tumbles. Oh, shit. 
I can't get to them. <laughs> I cannot get to them. Now I know how to get to them. Yeah. If you want to risk your life a little bit in that same spot, but I couldn't get to them. And so the, we pull out, it's dark. We come back up the next morning, John, and I find the spot where he died. Mm-hmm. My brother picks up a rock that's in the blood pile, mm. and there's blood dripping off the bottom of the rock six, eight inches deep. He bled out. There's no question right there, but he is nowhere to be found. There's not a drag mark, a skid mark, a blood trail, nothing. So we spend our, our last day hunting, looking feverishly for this billy. And, uh, you know, we finally did dark started coming in and we, we peeled out and we got tangled up in nasty mess that we, we named and turned land of the loss because from above, it looked like it was a great spot to exit the mountain. Oh yeah. And, and we got into a quagmire of cacti and large boulders and, and, and finally, finally figured out a way out. Well, about 150 yards away from where we had last seen blood, we'd run into a big Tom. Oh, shit. He's, state, he's about 100 yards from us, and he's sitting there looking at us, and it's, it's low light. So all we got is eyeballs. Yeah. And with the naked eye, you can see with the camera, you can just see eyeballs. With our flashlights, you can see his whole outline. And he's just pacing back and forth. <laughs> and we're like, hey, cat, hey, cat. Nothing. He just, he, he's not scared. He's not moving. Right. And it didn't occur to me until we read it to the rancher. He's like, yeah, that cat's eating your ibex while you're standing there watching him. <laughs> And I'm like, I would have thrown rocks at the stupid thing and got, got the right. Ibex from him. But he was protecting him. And the rancher was like, yeah, no. That, I, he was probably on that Ibex before you even got off the mountain. And he, was, he drug it to a spot. He probably didn't even drag it. Probably carried it to a spot Yeah, and ate, ate that sucker. So the next year, I looked for him in that spot. Like I, couldn't, I couldn't find the bones. Uh, but uh, Damn. You know, that was my very first Ibex experience. Um, and first blood with a bow ever. And my brother Jeff drew it the next year. Mm-hmm. And we call it, you know, that was the first day of the second hunt. But we repeated what we had done on the last day of the last hunt. Okay. And sure enough, same thing. Here you got father of four throwing his bow into like these yucca bushes and these mahogany bushes because he, he needed his grip. So he tossed his bow down in front of him. Skimmy down, we're, we're, we're crawling through a crack where a third of my body's hanging out over the edge. And on this day, we had my dad's body. Uh-huh. And when he saw us come out on the edge of that dome, which was Brian's dome, he screamed at us on the radio and said, get down, don't take another step further, you're going to fall. <laughs> that was <laughs> his perspective. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, the wind was blowing, like you said. Like I mean, we we were we were into some serious gusts. And I and I have amateur footage of this. Mm. Of course, the camera that I was using was completely overexposed for the kill shot. But Jeff got his billy that day in high winds at about fifty yards, and we were already hooked. But yeah. um, you know, to see that billy go down around the canyon and lay down and die was unbelievable because. We'd never even laid hands on a billy for or any ibex for reals. You know, we'd seen one in Sportsman's warehouse, and that is it. Yeah. And you know, it took us four or five hours to get to him. Got to him. Got him recovered. And we the whole time we're like, please, mountain lion, don't get there. Please, mountain lion, don't right don't get there. Yeah. And so uh, that 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 was that was pretty incredible. I don't know how far we can go, but the 
the third time I went up into the mountains after an Ibex, or the second time, sorry, the second time I had a, I had a tag. I'm up there for all the way up until my last day. I think I only had a seven or eight days at that point in time, which is a significant amount of days for hunting for most people. But I, I took some leave. I was still active duty in the Marines. And uh, everybody in the hunt camp had to leave. We had one guy break his ankle. He couldn't hunt anymore. Jeez. My buddy Pat Wheeler, who's on the mountain right now, he said he had to go home, get back to work. My brother expressed to me that he thought we were leaving that day. So he had to leave. Uh, my dad was helping me keep, keep track of the, my son and, and pick him up from school so I could have one more day of hunting. And uh, so he was going to leave. But in the morning when I woke up, all of them said, hey, look, we'll come spot for you for a couple hours before we have to hit the road. And so I left well before they did. The sun's not even up yet. I'm making my way up the mountain. When I realize, when I see their headlights coming, I don't have my radio. Oh, shit. And so I hike back down because I'm like, what good is having a spot if you don't have a radio, which is perfectly legal here in New Mexico, yep. by the way. I know in some states it's not. Same in Arizona. Um, so I go down. I'm like, I hope you have an extra radio. They did. I said, great. This is awesome. And I finally get back up to even. I'm already frustrated because I should be in position at this point. The sun's right. starting to crack. And uh, I got sick. I don't know. I don't want to get into details, but I'll tell you what. My, we made goulash with all the leftovers the night before. Oh, and it did not go down well. And I was in a pickle. And it was awful experience. I quit. I quit. John, I said, I'm not going. So I'm not going up the mountain. Oh, no way man. am I going to go up the rock anymore. This, it's not meant to be. And after making some adjustments to my clothing situation, mm. I was like, I'm already halfway up. I'm going. And sure enough, I spot a herd of Ibex. And I know where they're feeding. By this point in time, I'm starting to get a feel for what they're doing. Of course, they can go anywhere. They can go 360. It doesn't matter. Right. You, you think they're on a trail. No. Bah. They don't, they don't eat trails. <laughs> they don't do trails. You know, it's like back to the future, right? Roads. We don't yeah, need roads. Exactly. And so, but nobody else can see them. Um, only I can see them. So I'm spotting for myself. I'm crawling. So I stay out of view because they're still above me, which is a dangerous place on that mountain. Mm. Uh, they can they can see just like a pronghorn. Right. And I finally slip in. I get into some death late. I get up into position. I'm like, okay, they should be here any minute because it took me that long to get there. And I'm standing on a trail that had probably six inches of goat turds <laughs> on it. I mean, this they love this area. But there was like 10 of those trails around me. Yeah, yeah. So one of them jumps above me and disappears. But I don't see the rest of the herd. And all of a sudden, I hear this crack across the canyon. And it's a lone billy. And he's jumping from boulder to boulder and he just stop and freeze. And he just sound like this. <laughs> and then he'd look around, tilt his head, and then he'd do it again. And he did it three or four times. And he's even with me. He's 200 yards away and he's even in elevation with me. And he was coming in from a place I wasn't expecting. So I just froze. And as soon as he disappeared below me, I said, well, it's as good a chance as any as he's coming here and he's going to join up with the herd. Mm -hmm. And so at that point in time, I just had a GoPro. I hit the record button on the GoPro and had 15 minutes and 43 seconds before he appeared below me. Mm. And my first lane was boogered. 
it was not a good lane. The grass covered everything. The second lane really wasn't a good lane. The third lane that I had was just very narrow. But I pulled back, and those mahogany bushes, you know, those little springy bushes, I think yeah. they're mahoganies. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. All of a sudden, I realized just how many of those branches are there. So I'm doing the same thing John Stallone did, right? I'm like, okay, how can I slip this arrow in? I'm already at full draw. He's at 30 yards at a 50-degree angle. And I find my sweet spot. I let her rip. And I watched my arrows arc 10 feet above him. Oh, shit. 30 at 30 yards. It seemed like 10 feet. I just saw the arrow very clearly well above him. And I'm like, how did I just Olo this shot? He's 30 <laughs> yards. He's at a steep angle and he is gone. Right. I scrambled up to the other side and I, I'm, I'm just devastated. I got on the radio with my brother. I said, Did you guys see anything? They're like, Oh, no. No, we haven't seen a thing all day. <laughs> uh, some friends of mine that, that, that would listen in and troll our, our radio comms from time to time were listening from another part of the mountain. They said it was the funniest thing they ever heard because I'm just shaky. I'm like, I just missed a shot at 30 yards on the biggest billy I've ever seen. And my brother laughs at me and says, No, you didn't. You didn't miss at 30. He goes, go check your arrow. I checked my arrow, and it was like I hired a painter to paint the mount landscape. It was hard shot through and through. Oh, shit. And uh, I sat down and called Jeff, and he put on a packet as fast as he could get up there. He got up there, and we went and did the recovery together. So that's, nice. that's, that's my Ibex story. So what um, happened when it hit him? It kind of like went through and then deflected up and when it was coming out, so it looked like it was... Uh, just I think what it was is the angle... And shooting at these high angles, and this, this could be a lesson learned since we talked about lessons learned. Right. My trajectory just appeared that it was way out, well over him. It just slipped in. And in fact, I hit through his heart, which is on those ibexes forward. Yeah. And it pierced his heart. When we caked him out, I could take my hand, my thumb would be on the entry wound, and my middle finger on the exit wound. Okay. Because that, you know, the brisket isn't very wide. No. And uh, thank goodness, any lower, it would have been a brisket shot. Any higher, it would have been fine. But I had to laugh. And he ended up being a really nice Billy. I've never officially measured anything. And even, even he wasn't official. Uh-huh. But I did take him to SCI and then the SCI rep and have him measured out. And for a while, he was in the, in the top five in the, in the country. And I'm sorry, how many inches was he? He's 41 on one side and 40 and a half on the other. Oh, hell yeah. That was a stud. And uh, and it didn't matter to me because Jeff killed a, a a younger ibex. I don't even know what his measurement was. It was only all this pressure people were putting on me to get him measured. And so I finally just succumbed and I did it. But I didn't do the official. Let's let him shrink and do all that stuff. It was an unofficial measurement from SCI, and it, it they put it on their web page. Oh, nice. The guy submitted it, but uh, you know I think he's still in the top ten somewhere, but. I didn't even care. I was going to shoot a nanny. It could have been a nanny, mm-hmm. a young billy. It is an archery hunt against, I think, probably the toughest animal in the lower 48. And it, it didn't matter to me. They were all all trophies. Oh, yeah. It's by far the toughest. I mean, I haven't hunted mountain goat yet, so I don't know. But I've hunted sheep. I've hunted Rockies. I've hunted desert. And, um, you know, I think coos deer are super hard. I mean, I've pretty much hunted everything i haven't hunted brown bear but you I, have hunted brown bear i said i haven't oh. haven't done brown bear i haven't done a couple of the caribou yeah i mean 
I can't think of one that's harder than that. It, it's it's because they're a tough animal to begin with, and the terrain, every, like everything's just everything's working against you. Really, right? really it's like tough, super tough hunt. Super. Tough I ran hunt. into a mountain goat guy from Alaska who would come down here. And I think he, for the longest time, had the number one archery billy. Oh, nice. Um, interesting character. But he said this hunt was way harder than any of his mountain goat, goat hunts that he guided oh, for yeah. decades up in Alaska. And he had the same thing, that same draw. There's some allure to this mountain range. Once you're there and you, and you get a taste of it, uh-huh. I, I don't think I've met very many people who've, who don't have that feeling except for maybe my uncle. And uh, my uncle Earl hunted at muzzleloader one year, and he said he when we we drew that he laughed at us and said, "Well, I hiked up to the top, I sat down and smoked a cigarette, <laughs> and then I left." Yeah, but during that one day that he actually hiked up there, he uh, he learned quite a bit. So he told us some great information on ibex and how they they'll split up and they'll circle back around to each other and. Sometimes they go down below you, but they'll always seem to, 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 to roll around in these heart-shaped formations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's pretty valuable to us at the time. But his stories kind of intimidated us. We didn't know what to, what to think about that mountain. And driving up to it, you know, the prominence rating is off the charts. And so I think the intimidation factor is very natural, but very real. And so, you know, I just can't seem to draw the tag now. And, uh, yeah, I know. I would love nothing more now that I've got a few more hunts under my belt and a little bit more experience hunting. If I could actually be more than lucky, I, I did take a, my cousin down there and he killed a nice Billy with a muzzleloader. Mm-hmm. I see. I and, don't think it would be a hard hunt with, well, maybe muzzleloader, but with the, with a rifle, I don't see like it, it to me that it becomes from the hardest hunt to, like I don't know about the easiest, but it'd be pretty damn easy. I mean, it's still physical. You still have to climb up the mountain. You still got to whatever. But I mean, I can't tell you how many times I I was within a hundred yards of a forty plus inch billy. Right. You know, right. it's like antelope hunting, like spot and stalk antelope hunting. Yeah. Except you can die. Yeah. <laughs> you. you could, yes. You could die, and you, you're just not going to get as many at bat. Like you get a when you antelope hunt. You know, at least where I hunt. You get a lot of at bats. You could do five in a day. You're not going to do five stalks in a day in ibex because you can't just physically can't get there. You no, know, and that's that's what's important is you if once you spot them, you know you want to go after them, but you got to you got to calculate it out because you know I did one day a, a, a I bet four and a half hour stock mm-hmm. by myself. I spotted them below me. They were they stayed in this little canyon, and I'm creeping up to the edge, just turkey peeking a little bit, and of course. As soon as I can see them, the a nanny starts barking and, and mm. they sound like a duck. Whack, whack, yeah. whack, whack. And so, but the Billy wasn't disturbed. He just sat there. So I leveled on him. And I mean, I was as solid as I've ever been on a shot. And I pull back and let her rip. And that arrow floated because I was shooting across a canyon. Mm. The same thing you were talking about with the wind, the wind was pushing up. Yeah coming down from the bottom and pushing up and it just, my arrow just floated and it looked like it was diving right into him and it just goes and hits right behind him at such a steep angle that it went over his back and hit three feet from where his footprints were. Crazy. 
and it, you're like, how, how did you even miss? Like, like how, how did you even miss that? But what an exciting place that is. And, and I, I really wish we were there. We're, I think in our family now, my, my niece drew a rifle youth and she's got a nice Billy, which has an amazing story. If you want to link back to the mountain lion situation there. She, she shoots this Billy. He's heart shot and still goes a hundred yards shoulder and heart shot Crazy. with a rifle at 256 yards. He stumbles down the mountain. There's 30 other goats around him and they look like rats scurrying through a maze. Just, you can hear the little clakes on the, on the rock. They're just, and there's so much going on. And I had my camera on where I thought he was going, but I couldn't see in the LCD screen anymore. I just let it record. Uh-huh. He was dead center in the screen. Thank goodness. I'm looking with the binoculars to see if I can get an eye on him because they can get lost in a crevice pretty easy. Oh yeah. And so you want to you know about an apex predator out of all this madness that was happening. I mean, the whole canyon was alive with all the, the clicking and clacks and rocks stumbling and all the nannies and the smaller billies running in other directions. It was madness. And out of the middle of all of this on my camera, unbeknownst to me, a big Tom is running up the mountain and runs directly to the injured Ibex. Man. In seconds from the shot. Now, I don't know this. The last thing we see, and I'll, I'll, I need to find that clip and I need to cut it and send it to you. The last thing I see is the, the, the Tom runs up to the Ibex. The Ibex in his last breath faces off to the Tom. Now, he's laying down, but he's, he, he faces the Tom. The Tom circles up above him. And then I hit stop because I didn't realize that I, I had some of the most amazing thing in the world happening right in front of me. Jeez. And uh, never saw the, the mountain lion with my, with my bare eyes. But that just tells you how attuned those lions are in that mountain to what's going on. Because he didn't go after a nanny. Right. He didn't go after a kid that had run right through his path. He went after the injured Billy <laughs> and had him pinned and vectored in within, within seconds. I was pretty amazed by that. That is uh, not. That was just a nutty situation. That, and that's the only, that's the only, uh, the one of two mountain lions I'd ever seen on the mountain itself. Oh man. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> I've seen so many over there. I think, um, my, I averaged four per time that I've been there glassed up. They're, they're unreal. They are the king of the king of the mountain. There's no question about it. Yeah, and they they have plenty to plenty to choose from, but you know we've I did do a depredation hunt with a rifle, and I killed my body to do it. So other than my lousy shooting, taking uh, more shots at it with a rifle, with a bow, um, we we're, were able to take one of those. And you, and you look at her compared to this. I'm looking at her right now too. She's her. I got a euro of her. Her skull. It's really only about eight inches long and about four inches wide. And okay. the Billy is probably four or five times bigger than that overall, just in mass. And, and so that's why those nannies can hide so well. And, and they blend in with the environment even better than the Billies. And that they're the ones who bust me all the time. The Billies are, ah, the Billies, they, they, they're pretty confident, but those nannies seem to get me. Yeah, no, for sure. I, uh, I had the same experience. You had said something before about, um, 
and this is kind of a little tidbit if anybody's actually going to go on this hunt in January, I came to the realization, all right, all right, I noticed that when you were below them, when they they saw you or when they, whatever, they were, not that they were curious by any means, they didn't do any like uh, mule deer stuff, they would, you know, but they would basically run straight up from you. And a lot of times, because of the terrain, you know, they'd have to stop and pause and, you know, to make a different angle adjustment, whatever, you'd actually have another shot and they'd still be within range, even though they ran would seem like 50 yards, but because mm-hmm. it was such a steep, you know, whatever, going up a wall or whatever, you'd actually have an opportunity. Now, every time that I came from above, like what a mountain lion would do, dude, they would explode and like there was no chance in hell at ever getting another shot. You're, you're, you're exactly right. There seemed to be more forgiveness from being caught from below than from above or even even with them. Uh, no question about it, and, and, and it's because of the train. They 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 own the high ground, so they got higher, right? And they would they'd pause and look, and you know I think uh, at that point they have the confidence, you know, that they they have the high ground because that's their protection, right? Uh, and so yeah, I I I, I, I experienced that exact same thing, and you know the saddest part in the world. I should have two big billies. Um, not not even the shots that I told you I missed, but I should have two big billies sitting right here. And one day, Jeff and I up on the mountain, and we're up way high, and we're trying to stay where we're not skylined, and uh-huh. and we hear some walking below us, which we knew were ibex, and we knew that they had been in this spot. And I told Jeff, I said, "You stay here. I'm going to work up this one area about just 20 yards away." see if I can get a different angle on them. I stand up, my back's to my brother when a a 40-something plus Billy stands up on the rock 18 yards from where I was just sitting and watches me walk away. Jeff cannot get my attention. And then I hear, (coughs) and I turn, and Jeff throws his arms up in the air like, dude, I thought any second you were going to turn and zip this this Billy. (laughs) I never saw him. I just, I heard him, and I thought he was below me, but he'd snuck up and watched me walk away, and I never was more than 30 yards from him, but uh, he got the best of me that day. That's crazy. If I'd have just been patient and stayed with my brother for another two minutes, would have been fine. But yeah. uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty amazing creatures. You know, if anybody decides they want to go up there, I mean, it's more than being, you know, cardio fit or endurance fit. Oh, like no. You, you, you've got you to be hardened a little bit. Yeah, like you've no, got it's, to, not, it's not for the faint of heart for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's any kind of real training that kind of really gets you ready for that physically or mentally, you know, it's kind of, I, and I did it all, man. I did it all. Like you, oh, you've been you should have seen, you should have seen my, before my first hunt and I never, never even put eyes on the mountain. The shit that I was doing just based on what I heard and videos I watched of, of what it looked like, man, I was, I had a buddy of mine. I was going to like the fourth floor and shooting down into a yard, you know, like I was doing crazy type of training. I even bought a $600 Ibex, uh, you know, 3d target (laughs) (laughs) for anatomy, like everything. I I did it all. I mean, and it paid off. It paid off my, my efforts that I put on that first hunt paid off for me. And I noticed on my second hunt that I didn't, I was very lackadaisical about it, that, 
I mean, obviously I didn't come home with anything, but I mean, I still made opportunities, but I, I think if I was more well-practiced, like I was on the first hunt with my shooting, I think I definitely would have killed one, but. Well, I, I never shot better than when I practiced for Ibex. Yep. That's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to do this again. I want to reinstitute. I used to keep my bow in my truck, regardless of the temperature, the heat, whatever. Oh yeah. You can't. I think it, <laughs> and and it, it didn't matter to me because I was like, I got to shoot. I got to shoot a lot because I'm fairly new into bow hunting. I hunted right before I went to Marine Corps back in 92. Uh-huh. I don't want to age myself to anybody, but I think I got a few years on you and didn't pick up a bow again until I didn't until late in my career. And my brother was begging me to get into it. I said, dude, I like shooting guns and I like shooting muzzleloaders. Why, why would we need to shoot a bow? <laughs> and then he kept telling me these stories and these close encounters with animals. And I finally got a little bit of the bug, but I was, I was really, you know, I, I think I hunted three times, four times maybe in my entire Marine Corps career. It was so difficult to get home during hunting season. Right. Or I'd forget to put him for the draw. We might get a landowner cow tag. Um, if we were lucky for three or 400 bucks and I could go hunting with my dad and brother. And so really I, I kind of count my second half of my, my hunting experiences really starting in, you know, 20 years after I first picked up a bow, like I had my youth, right. And there was a Marine Corps, it's a huge break. So when we talked about these animals, you know, people look at me now and they're like, Oh, you've got some bow kills and I'm kind of an equal opportunity hunter. And if it's legal, Right, and my freezer has room in it. It's probably going to get shot. And I don't know if it's mission accomplishment. In my brain from the Marines, like, hey, you got a tag, it's a legal buck, accomplished mission. Or if it's, um, I just don't discriminate yet. But I really don't have that much experience since since I got out of the Marine or until I got out of the Marine Corps. Right. And so every single time I go in the field, I learn something new. And learning something from you right now at Ibex and, and at least knowing that some of my lessons were your lessons is also gratifying because then I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah. No. I, you know, every time I go out in the field, I mean, it's, it's almost like I'm a sponge and I'm just taking it all in. Uh, yeah. This well, year, I've been bow hunting now for a little over 30 years and I too had a little lull too, just, uh, few years in college because I was too busy chasing two-legged deer. Um, <laughs> but um, I still feel that way, man. I still feel like I learn something literally every time I go somewhere. You know what gets me though is when I have to learn it more than once. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens yep. to me a lot as well. You think, you know, you've got this, all this experience now and you've got, you know, this failure, this success, this mistake, this misstep. And you'd like to be able to categorize them all and say, all right, yeah, I hope I got this. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And boom. You do it. And, you know, this year I, I actually used the term and, oh, and believe it or not, I need to, I need to make this connection. I'm hunting with Zach Harold, who I think, you know, Oh yeah. I just and, was uh, text messaging him actually before me and you got on. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's on my six and I looked at him and I said, we have to trust the science. I said that word. I said, we have to trust the science, which I absolutely hate that, <laughs> that, that, that term because of how it's been misused and, and, uh, uh, and twisted around by some folks in corporate media. But I looked at them and I'm like, listen, we have thermals. We were in the canyon. The thermals were coming up. 
Now we're up on the ridge and we're working our way around. I looked at him and I'm, I'm trying to convince myself more than right. him. I said, the wind's, the wind's blowing towards him, but as soon as it hits the canyon, the thermal is going to push it up and it's just going to level out the wind. We got to trust that that's happening because I was being a little aggressive to get on this elk herd, which for some reason, all these elk herds that were splintered came together for this one day. So we had like 75 herd of elk, which is, makes it difficult to stock anyway. Oh, yeah. But I'm thinking if we can get in position, let them shift in the middle of the day, then I'll have a chance. And I don't think I was talking to him. I was trying to convince myself, don't worry. The wind's going to come over the race. It's going to hit the canyon. The canyon's going to, the thermal is going to push the wind up. They're never going to smell us. Right. And then Zach's looking at me. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear them bugling further away now. We got over the edge of the canyon. We're looking and they're just running. I'm like, well, I wonder what scared them. <laughs> Could have been us. And he just rolls his eyes a little bit. I'm just so glad he has hunting experience. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's not always the case with us and, and our camera guys. And, yeah, no. And I'm like, no, no, it's not us. I, I certainly didn't do it. Well, what I didn't take into account was the fact that there were some benches. Yeah. I didn't take into account the fact that that was actually a prevailing wind coming over the ridge. Yep. And it just swirled right there at the top third of that canyon. And those elk, all it takes is one. So oh, I yeah. told him it's probably probably just one elk smelled us, but it could have been thirty. Right. And we spent the next thirty minutes scratching my head, watching them run away like a herd of cattle. Yeah. And uh, you sucks. know, it was it was another lesson. But for the fact that I even said trust the science, probably <laughs> trust the science. Have bad luck. <laughs> trust the science. Thermals go up. I love and, it. And they're, it's protecting us, but. Uh, no, it was, so it, it, was, it was neat. You were right. saying something about keeping your bow in the car, so I truck and whatever. I used to do that too all the time. Yeah, something crazy. Oh yeah, and and you should be. Let me explain <laughs> why. Especially you, you living in New Mexico, it gets hot as shit down there, like like it does here. I was doing a bunch of testing, learning about new tuning and 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 how tune affects things. Chris and I, Chris was uh, has worked for a bow shop over here for me that uh, I did a lot of my stuff with. He now works for PSE, but we were shooting uh, out of a Hooter shooter, and we were getting like a, I don't know, like a three-inch group. He literally backed out one pound, one pound out of the bow, and it took that three-inch group, and they were splitting knocks. And the reason why I bring that up is like, so when you leave a bow in the car, nine times out of 10, you get a little stretch in the cable and you lose a pound or two. So it it affects the tune of your bow and the flight of your arrow drastically Wow! or can do it drastically, you know? And it, yeah, I love those guys who know that so well, how to make those fine tune adjustments. And I, I haven't gotten there yet. It, it's kind of uh, maddening. I almost wish I didn't know about it because back in the day, dude, I would screw some broadheads on a freaking arrow. I'd buy an arrow and I'd throw it on my bow. And if it was, you know, of course I would paper tune and do that stuff. I wasn't too caveman like, but I just call it good, man. And I'd go kill shit and I'd kill shit all the time. But then it gets in your head. You're like, oh man, I need, I need perfect. Everything needs to be perfect. I mean, there's something to be said about when you walk into a field and and, you know, walk into a hunt or whatever, and you feel the confidence that you're, you have the most 
perfect setup that you could possibly have. And there is no perfect. I'll tell you, I'll be the first to tell you that there's no best broadhead. There's no best arrow. There's no best anything. Cause you always have to give up something to get some, gain something, which sucks. Right. But there is a sense of confidence in, in it. And it really drives you. Like, I feel like it helps for me anyway. And it's been my experience. Those are people who have, who build confidence in the things that they use and the things that they do. Like we were talking about, you know, practicing and all that stuff, all the stuff leading up to the hunt, controlling all the things that you can control because you can't control anything when you're hunting, those end up being the details that end up helping you fill your tag. And well, I, it goes back to basic, basic psychiatry, right? Basic right. emotional wellness. Like, you know, people say dress for success. Yep, exactly. You know, surround yourself with people who will make you better, not drag you down. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and having that kind of confidence in your equipment, whatever it is. And, and that's what I tell people when they ask me. I get asked all the time, hey, I don't have a big budget, but I'd like to get into bow hunting. What do I do? I say, go find a bow that feels good. Yeah. What, yeah. Bow, what bow should I get? I said, well, if you want to spend a lot of money, get this bow. If you want to just get a box bow, off the shelf, you will kill plenty of it. If you practice and get confident with it, you will be fine. Mm -hmm. And then you will know that you're not going to just buy yourself a, an archery game. Right. You can't buy, I can't buy myself a golf game when I used to golf a lot. I, I tried to buy the most expensive things I could afford at the time and it didn't work. Same, same with, with shooting. I think there's a, a line though. I mean, if you're yeah. going and you got a bucket of bolts, obviously it's not going to work, but no, for sure. Know, knowing you knowing your equipment, knowing your own capabilities and knowing where you need to seek self-improvement are fundamental. And, you know, I did stop carrying my bow right on my truck, but I think what I miss about that is I was practicing everywhere. Yep. If I had 30 minutes, cause I didn't have a lot of time to be like, okay, I got two hours. I'm going to go to the range. Yep. No, I, I was working. Yep, throw a bag um, out. Still, <laughs> throw a bag I out. Throw of the a road. bag out. You know, uh, the side of the yep. road and rest stop. Yeah. Swing 15, 20 arrows. It was no big deal. Yeah. And this year, when I started practicing, I was struggling getting through 20 arrows in a in a session because I was not in shape for it. Yeah. And you can't crash for the test. No. You know, you can't. You can't do it. The the, the hunt's going to start, and you're going to get out there, and you're going to be prepared or not. So, you know, I I've started practicing a lot more by keeping things handy and ready. I didn't have to, it didn't take me 30 minutes to get my stuff set up so I could go practice. I just started forcing myself to do it. And, you know, in all honesty, I had to shoot while I was out in the field too, just to remind myself that I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that, that, that spot. Um, I'd rather be like, no, I'm in, I'm as good as I'm going to get and a little maintenance during the hunt's okay. But, you know, if I have to make an adjustment on the bow um, during the hunt, that immediately crashes confidence, and then you overgrip, and all the mental things start to weigh on you. And you might, you know, you might overgrip the bow. You might not pay attention to the other fundamentals because you're worried that you're not going to hit where you are. Like, you know, I need to aim six inches low. Like that, that feeling just has to go. And if I find myself getting there in the middle of the hunt, I will quit my hunt in the middle of the day. And I will go and shoot for hours and practice until I get that confidence back. Yeah. No, I, I, and, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, you know, you need to, if you don't feel like you, if you can't see yourself doing it, it's probably not going to happen. You know, you gotta, you gotta be able to feel it, see it. It's gotta, you gotta be able to see it in your mind playing out. Otherwise you're not going to make it happen. 
You know? well, I was envious of you last year going through and testing all the broadheads and the flight and all the stuff that you did. I was doing my best to keep track of it all. Uh, granted, living in a camper for a year and a half without Wi-Fi made it a little bit more difficult to stay on top of stuff. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I was envious of seeing you being able to do that. I was like, man, that is, that's fantastic. It was a I lot of work, man. That. It was a I, lot I of work. I bet. There was I, a lot of work and it, and it, and it, and it, on a lot of, a lot of things it, it, it clarified stuff for me, but it also created a lot more questions and, and made me rethink things. Like, I mean, so I shot Schwacker broadheads for, I don't even know how long, I think 11 years. And I had, tremendous success with them and it took me having a few bad hunts where i made i mean they were piss poor shots but the what sealed the deal for me is that i made a couple of really good shots on uh this was over my red stag hunt with them and it was like man and that's kind of why i started going down this rabbit hole what you know so prior to the shooting swagger i was i was a fixed blade guy you know and mm-hmm. I didn't like mechanicals. I didn't like the idea of mechanicals until they came along. And I was like, well, even if it doesn't deploy, because that's what everybody's like, oh, it's not going to deploy or if it doesn't deploy or whatever, you know, it's still making a one inch hole, you know? And I was like, okay with, I, I went to, I went to them because I was having tuning issues. Now that I know how, how to tune my bow, I can literally screw any broadhead on from anywhere, get my bow dialed the way I want to and my broadheads to hit you know, with each other. And you'd be surprised how many bow shops don't know how to do. Oh that. my God. It's crazy. It's so crazy. I, I love, that's why I love the guys at Arizona RJ. They take things to the next level. He, the owner has built a machine. I mean, it's like something out of a sci-fi movie, like crazy. It scans it, laser scans your bow and will, I mean, to the, millionth of an inch i think or thousandth of an inch probably i think it's a thousandth of an inch but like and it everything's dialed in like everything's dialed in but that's just a starting point because you know you still have to tune the bow to the shooter the shooter has to be you know part of that equation when you're tuning but that's a whole nother rabbit hole i'll spend another two hours with you on the phone (laughs) about that but if you ever want to talk about it we'll get you on and talk about it here here i am impressed with my 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 boy Cody down in Albuquerque who will twist my boat my uh, cable just a little bit or yeah I mean well know, that's important too though. my cam and, <laughs> you know that's all part of it yeah it's all part and, uh, of it so but, but I did I on my backup boat this year I was running out of time and I had an anxious six year old wanting to get to the range and shoot which was a nice thing to have mm-hmm. and I uh, left the bow shop without having my first two pins sighted in. And I said, I'll, I'll get it, you know, in hunt cap. It was a backup bow, so I wasn't that concerned about it. But, right. you know, and, and I'm fortunate that I have a backup bow. But, you know, two is one, one is none kind of thing, especially when you're going out into the sticks and away right. from any other bow shop. I mean, you make one mistake, you cut your string or you drop your bow and 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 you can't, you can't tune it because you bent your cam, yeah. um, which sucks. Yeah, I, I, got a, <laughs> I, I can go down to the rabbit hole there too. But I didn't do it and I didn't paper tune it. Okay. And I broke two arrows. <laughs> on the rocks behind the target because I was so far off and it was like, there is no way I put my backup bow away and I said, primary bow, I am going to caress you and <laughs> hold you and love you because you're not going to get hurt. I'm not going to fall with you. I'm going to protect you because 
And then I went and started, you know, shooting with it again to make sure. But I got to the point this year, I didn't even, because of the fact that I was building the house and living in a camper and moving and stuff in storage, and it was ridiculous. And I could give you a whole bunch of other poor excuses as to why I needed to really up my game before hunting season. Mm-hmm. But I started shooting primarily broadheads only. Right. I, I stopped shooting with my fill points, and I had never done it to that degree. I'd always shoot my fill points. And then you know, I'd throw a broadhead out and I'd reset the target, shoot the broadhead first and shoot a few more fill points, make sure everything was hitting good. I started shooting with all broadheads. I'd made an adjustment with the broadheads in the field with Zach actually on my rest because I'd bumped some, I'd just done something or I was shooting poorly. And um, it took me a while to where I even wanted to shoot fill points again. And I ruined a lot of broadheads practicing with them and doling them out. But my confidence went through the roof on where the broadheads were going to fly. And, 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 and my furthest this year was 90 yards just to practice. Just to, those distant shots will tell you everything about your form uh-huh. and, and your flight and how a minor adjustment or something that's wrong will, will have major consequences. And, and so I, that's what I ended up doing this year to, to get to where I had the confidence finally to step out the field for the first time with just all broadheads all day. If I cut my fletchings or I decided to shoot three arrows into a target, I would try not to hit my other arrow, but I just took the risk and said, you know what? I, I, I just need to know when my arrows felt the way it is, when I go out there, I'm good. And it's, and it really is because I was a little bit late starter this year and I was pretty mad at myself for that. Pretty disappointed that I started so late. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to wrap it up here and uh, uh-huh. we'll get you on. We'll get a discussion and we'll, we'll talk about some of this other stuff, like preseason prep and all that. I think uh, you got a lot to offer on that, uh, that topic. So um, I guess, you know, just, just like we do in the Marine Corps and, and just like you've been doing your whole life, just naturally like you train like you hunt. You know, we in the Marine Corps, we try to train like we fight. I'd love to have this discussion with you. I know this is, we're going well beyond our scope of our, our, yeah. our stuff. But, you know, you, little things to create stressors, you know, the totally archery, total archery challenges that are going on across the country. And yep. I think are fantastic because Jeff and I used to do that to each other. We put a timer in each other's ear and your heart rate would automatically start going up. Uh, or you just start counting backwards from 10 and you imagine the amount of stress you can very simply introduce when you're practicing that will help you with those natural stressors when you, when you've got a big bull or a javelina or uh-huh. Ibex sitting out in front of you. And so I'd really look forward to talking to you about that. Yeah, for sure. No, I've done a lot of stuff like that over the years and yeah, you know, I've been I put been putting videos out about that for like the last fifteen years about doing stuff. People used to look at me funny, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. We should definitely get into that. And absolutely, uh, it was good having you on and good chat with you, man. I really uh, appreciate it. It's oh. been a long time coming. I think the first time well, we we talked about it a few years ago, and and uh, I've been following you and and trying to keep up with you. And uh, I looked at outdoorsmen, and then I looked at like men amongst outdoorsmen and i think you're in that category thanks man what what you do on the (laughs) field is 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 impressive and and i just like your approach to it so appreciate you for being that example to so many others out there awesome man i really appreciate that that's uh that means a lot coming from you but yeah we'll get you back on and i hope you have a good rest of your season 
and uh, we'll catch up after the season and see how you did. Sounds good. I appreciate it. All right, bud. Take it easy. Take care. You too. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out daysinthewild.com and be sure to give us a review on iTunes. Thank you, and we'll check you out on the next episode. 